Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano, or I should say I'm Mills Lane in this in this discussion. If you don't know who Mills Lane is, Google it. He had something to do with Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. We'll go from there. But uh, our guest, our, our publisher, Pat Jones, is here in the recording studio with us. And on the phone line, we have Tim Morgan, our popular columnist and the principal of Aspire Golf. And Pat and Tim are going to talk about some of the headlines that were made in the golf industry in 2017. Uh, both of you guys, thanks for taking some time. And I think one of the big stories, and it happened early in the year, was all the job movement. We had superintendents bouncing from big-name club to big-name club. And we're just going to kind of break down what that means for the industry. Tim, first, what are your thoughts about this? When was the last time you saw such job movement at the high-profile clubs? And what, what does that mean for the industry in your mind well happy holidays to everybody i think uh for the industry the last you know searching my brain i don't uh i had not seen it in 15 or 16 years i recall back in 1999 2000 uh mark Michaud went from pebble beach to shinnecock mark coons went from oakmont to balasraw matt schaefer went to marion and john zimmer went to oakmont and mike jufri went to congressional and I think shortly thereafter, Pat Finland went to the Olympic Club. Uh, so there was, I mean, that was a huge shift in the major golf club industry for superintendents moving around. Uh, and, and, I, and now it's coming up. We all age a little bit, so I think you're going to see it happen again. You, you just saw Bill Spence step down from the country club after right. 33 years. Matt Schaefer stepped down at Marion. Uh, Right. You will also see coming up as we, all, like I said, we all get a little older. As was my brief synapses in my brain seconds ago, <laughs> was that, I mean you're looking and no disrespect to age, but you're looking at Marcoons at Ballastrol entering that early '60s uh, time frame. Uh, you've got uh, the gentleman down at Seminole, the, Hal Hicks. Hal, yeah. Hal Hicks is the same thing. I mean, you're just going to see a transition in industry. So I think that's good for a lot of younger superintendents who are at good clubs and are really, really good superintendents. They need to get their interview skills ready. Pat, what do you make of all this change? We've kind of had this discussion earlier in the year when we recorded a podcast, but some has happened late in the year with some of the retirements, too. In your mind, Pat, what type of opportunity is this for the young people in the business, especially the uh, assistants and others coming up? Well, the boomers are finally uh, retiring, you know, whether they like it or not. Um, you know, so you, you do have occasionally these these guys that have done a good job of saving some money and the club's taking good care of them and they had a nice 401k along the way. And and they're honest to God going to retire. You know, uh, our friend Steve Glossinger at Caves Valley is honest to God going to retire and, and, a, and a few other folks that are like that. So you've got this, this group of people that are moving forward, and then we're going to have a lot of dominoes falling the next two, three, four years. And, and that's good. That's, that's, that's healthy for everybody. It's not so healthy if you're a 60-something superintendent and you are asked to retire from that position and you're not quite ready to do it because there's zero chance of you, uh, you know, finding another $175,000, $200,000 a year job someplace else at that level. So I, I think a lot of people are going to have to get creative. Um, you know, we can debate the merits of the usual two options that, that folks like that pursue. One would be the, the sales option. You know, I'm going to go to work for a local distributor or something like that. And the other would be the consulting option. And, and we could talk all day about the pros and cons of doing those things. But, you know, the fact is uh, there is going to be a whole bunch of these baby boomer folks that are, are going to have to find a 
a, a new way to pay the bills, but probably not the way they've been doing it for 20 or 30 years. So it is good. It's healthy to have this kind of turnover. Um, you know, Tim mentioned uh, 1999, 2000, and that was that was directly a, a, a product of the golf boom and building 400 you know courses a year and and doing that. You know, what we're seeing now is the right sizing of golf, and, and that's going to continue to happen for the next decade. And it is going to be pretty interesting. Um, it begs the question, in, in a business where uh, we're retiring a, a bunch of folks, we're retiring a lot of legends, and these dominoes are falling, and, and new positions are opening up, how are we going to staff up in the future when we've only got you know, a handful of kids coming into the market uh, with four-year traditional turf degrees? So I, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. And, and you know, Tim, from your perspective, you know, what, what advice are you giving to these young guys that are finally, finally maybe going to get the, the opportunity that they've, that they've earned to go after a, a job at a top 200 club someplace? What are you telling those young guys? Well, on a couple, on a couple of notes. First, uh, the, the, the 60-plus guy or the, the, you know, that late 50s guy that, that is asked to retire, hopefully the clubs have the decency to tie him in with an agreement, retirement agreement, where he can at least get – he or she can at least get to 62 and then, you know, draw on retirement funding uh, in, in a ways and means. Now, I will tell you from a consulting perspective, it's not as easy as it, as it looks because I'm going right. to give you some facts here. Let's say you're, let's say you're a 20-year superintendent at a high-profile club and you're making $200,000 a year base salary. You have to not only make that money up, but you're also going to have to pay for your benefits, your gas, your car, your office space, your insurance, your life insurance, your liability insurance, uh, travel. If you're not used to travel, you're going to get an airplane, and guess what? You're not going to get bumped up in the first class like I do because <laughs> I've been traveling for 2 million miles. You're going to have to generate your base salary plus some to break even. Right. So it's not as simple as it thinks. And if, what are you going to do? What are you going to charge? I mean, right. you look at What's the your USA business model going to be, right? Right. Yeah, you look at the green section, it's $3,800 for a full-day visit. Now, what defines a full day? All of us have different rates. I will tell you publicly, I charge $2,000 for a full day. Right. You know, that's a lot of money. You better deliver or you're not going to get asked back. Right. So, and, and, Tim, you know as well as I do, you got to spend as much time finding new business as you do serving the business you already have because it's a churn thing. That's right. You're always going to maybe have a, a 30% annual churn as a consultant. So I, I, think, that yeah. that's, I think that's great to, a, advice for, for the guys that are considering that route is it's not as easy well, as it looks. You know, Pat, because I see you. You and I travel extensively. You know, the benefits of frequent travel, yes, you get seat selection, yes, you get cost. But what about rental cars and hotels? If you've never dealt with Los Angeles International Airport, <laughs> to get a rental car, to get to a hotel, and the cost and the confusion of an airport like that, it is daunting. Yep. Now, I've done it for 35 years. I mean, I've kind of got it down, you know, for lack of a better word. But for those guys to think, well, I'm just going to be a consultant, have at it, boys and girls, I'm all for it. Right. Now, from a, from a younger guy perspective, I'm telling them you've got to diversify. It's just like anything in life. You have got to diversify your educational aspect. It's not just turf grass. It's not just construction. It's not irrigation or, or, or management skills. You have to converse with a younger generation of members that wants everything instantaneously and is really not 
open to excuses or long, lengthy descriptions of what you're about to do. Right. It's instant gratification. It is the way our world has turned. So you need to know legal aspects. You need to know accounting. You need to know personnel management. Where are you going to find labor? How are you going to convince people to give you money to do your job? Right. That's the hardest thing. I'm a member, and okay, Pat, you're my new superintendent. You come from a fancy schmancy club, and you're going to, you know, totally revitalize my club. But you got to get money out of my pocket. Now, your previous club may have a huge budget because it's a big fancy schmancy, you know, hundred year old club, blue blood equity club with lots of money. And here it is. You take the money and do what you got to do. But now you're coming to a good club that's got a little more budget concern, and you got a bunch of members that are sixty plus. Yeah, they don't want to mess with their retirement package. They don't want to spend a lot of money. I tell these kids, you have got to learn to communicate so that you can take money out of my pocket Bingo. to accomplish what you need to do. Right. And, and, and just quickly, because I know guys sitting here going, we've got to move on. Um, it, the, the, when you're talking to these, these young folks, it, are you telling them this is a who-you-know market and not a what-you-know market? Or are you saying, look... You have to have the baseline knowledge and experience, then know people. How does how do you how do you counsel these up and coming young turf professionals about about how to position themselves? I'm with you 100. percent It's networking, networking. You have to be smart. You, you can't fix stupid. If people will see <laughs> right through you, you have to know your your industry. But like we spoke about earlier, it's who you know and how can I network to help me get further along. How can someone you know, Pat, that I can reach out to and help me get to where I want to go? Right. And if you don't put yourself out there and open your personality up and network and learn to go up and shake someone's hand, someone's hand introduce yourself, hey, Mr. Jones, my name is, is Tim Morgan. I, I really appreciate what you said. Can I have a business card? And maybe would you mind if I called you or emailed you at some time? If you're not willing to do that, you're, you're going to get lost. Yep. A hundred percent. That's great advice. And the, the, you know, make it a business-like experience, meeting that person, follow up with them, send them a thank you note, build a relationship over time because you'll have that relationship for years and maybe decades. Okay. Move on, guy. Come on. I know. Yeah. So the, the second thing we wanted to get to was construction and renovation. There's a lot of it going on this year. I think every architect and builder I've spoken to says they're, they're busy and they're already booked for 2018. Pat, First off, what do you make of this construction frenzy we have going on, and how does this help the industry and help golf course superintendents in particular? Well, I mean, it's, it goes back to what Tim was saying about, about being a, a five-tool player, that if right now if you don't have some construction ability and experience, at least the ability to manage a, a project in conjunction with a certified GCBA builder or somebody who's is as qualified as that, uh, you're going to miss out. So it, it is what's going on. Everybody is, is freshening up to keep up. And, and so it, in this new market that's emerging, the smaller, smarter golf market of the future, uh, you, you've got to offer a better product. And, and thankfully, we seem to be in a time when people are making those investments mainly in the golf course and less so in building a $6 million spa. Okay, I, I, yeah, you know, the spa days were, were really bad times for golf when, you know, a superintendent couldn't get $50,000 for a new piece of equipment, but they were dumping $9 million into a spa. So I, I, think, I think part of the smarter market is that, that we have our priorities right, and they're focusing on things that matter. 
Um, I'm heartened, too, to see uh, that infrastructure stuff is, is pretty high on the list in terms of drainage, irrigation systems, things like that. So it's not just the... It's not just the pretty noticeable stuff like bunkers or resurfacing drains. It, it's fundamentals as well. So I, I'm heartened by the whole thing, and I think it's good, and I think we're going to see about 10 years of, uh, of this kind of uh, repositioning and, and, and renovation boom, and then we'll see really what the new golf market looks like at that point. And Tim, with a, with a better golf course and some of this construction comes a tremendous amount of work for the golf course superintendents. What guidance can you give a superintendent that's getting involved in one of these for the first time? Learn how to communicate your ideas to the membership as it goes back to what I said previously. You're going to take money out of my pocket to accomplish a task. And that's what's important. Now, the, the, what Pat said with the, the whole spa thing, I'm involved with two clubs I belong with, too. We put the, pri the priority goes into the golf course. And in spite of, you know, recent surveys that say it's fitness and it's bike trails and all this other stuff, I'm sorry. Most people come to the two places that I belong to play golf. Right. And if you don't, if you don't upgrade your facility, your golf course facility, and, and whether it's, like Pat said, green bunkers, regrassing, tree removal, you're going to fail. And, and the key thing is, is, like Pat said, I agree with him 100%. It's infrastructure. It's the things that nobody sees. And you have to be able to convey your message to your membership. Right. I have to. I have to fix this drain line that hasn't been touched in 20 years. It's the hardest. It's the hardest sell in the world because you know Lyndon, jo Lyndon Johnson used to say, you know, back when he was the, in the Senate, never try to sell something underground. You know, it's 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 people yeah. don't see it, they don't appreciate it, but it's the most it's important the investment you can make. Sees. So so you go and back it, to it, that, and those guys have got to be able to tell that story, and that's what you keep talking about, Tim, is is exactly. being able to tell that story and, and tell them why it is really really important that you fix this you drainage problem that's been hampering the club for 20 years. And, and no matter what the infrastructure thing is, Pat, if today's 30-something are glued to an iPad and a cell phone and they talk to, to each other through a screen, you have to stand up in front of a board, a committee, mm -hmm. or a general membership meeting, and you have to speak eloquently, precisely, and informatively to convince that group of people that I need money to fix your problem. Right. And if you can't do that, the whole project's going to fail. Now, I'm, I'm happy to see that we are renovating. It shows that we have money. We are doing stuff. It's good for the superintendent. We are, you, you look at all these great old courses that are getting revitalized and back to the original intent of the architect, and, and trees are coming down, and bunkers are being repositioned, and, and greens are being restored. That is really cool stuff, and it will continue to, to occur even with the newer courses that have been bent, built in, in the 90s and the early 2000s. Because now they're coming up on 20, 25 years old, and your depreciation of features are starting to, to dip, and you're going to have to go back and do it again. Right. So, again, you, you have to convince people of a project. I right. think it's really cool. And I think it's, it's some of the stuff that we're doing and, and the looks. I mean, I look at what Andrew Green is doing at Inverness, and, and Gil Hansen is going to do at Southern Hills, or what he did at Piners. I mean, it's just fabulous stuff, and it sets the standard for the next trickle-down effect for the club to go, well, heck, if Oakmont did that, maybe we can do something similar. Bingo. And the business continues to rotate and everybody makes money. Yeah, I agree. I, I am heartened, and I'll, I'll give everybody a little sneak preview. We've got our data for our, our 2018 State of the Industry study that we'll publish here next month in the January issue. And not surprisingly, among uh, capital improvement projects slated for the next three years, 
Uh, 48% of respondents that had a capital budget or were planning an improvement said they were doing bunkers. But right behind that, 43% drainage repair and or upgrades. Thank you, God. It's just great to see it getting some attention. I always remember going to the Pacific Northwest, and everybody said, if you don't play in the rain, you don't play. Well, if you don't want to play in where it's wet, what do you got to do? Right. You got to get rid of the water. So drainage and sand top dressing took precedence. Right. To get a plane service to do what? Put people on the golf course, and to follow up with that is they're spending money. Right. Yep. Green is the new green. This brown is the new green. It's a bunch of baloney. And I'll, I'll be interested to see, what, as a side note, what Jim Heiler does as the new rules chairman of Augusta National. If he'll implement the brown as the new green stuff, and if it happens, great. I'll be a big fan, but I don't see it happening. So green is the new green. we got to get money flowing again. I'll ask you guys, just quite frankly, would you say golf's back? Well, I look at it from several points of view. I look at it as, from the point of view as an analyst that looks at the market and I will say we still have our struggles. And a lot of them are perception problems because people don't want to invest in the golf industry because they think golf is declining or dying or flat or whatever else. But I also look at my own business, and I think I've said this before uh, in speeches and stuff, that, that I consistently will stop and ask when I run into a Dave Ravel from Syngenta or a Jose Milan from Bear or a Remy from John Deere, the, these people that are important players in the industry, but also then the small business owners, you know, uh, Sam Green from, from AquaAid and, 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 and people that are running smaller businesses. And I say, okay, let me ask you a question. Did you make more money in the golf market in 2017 than you did to 2016? And every single one of them has said yes. Okay, that's thing number one. Thing number two is I've got a, 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 a you know a state of the industry study where we've asked consistently since the time of the uh, 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 of the uh, recession, hey, is your club making money, losing money, or break even? This year, uh, it's close to 42 percent that are that are making money, and, and almost 80 excuse me, 75 percent that are either breaking even or making money. And that's vastly better than it was six or seven years ago. So to answer your question, yeah, the golf industry is back. It's just not the same fake, phony, baloney, boom industry that we had in 1999 and 2000. Agreed. And I will tell you, I haven't had a real job in 10, 11 years now, so uh, my lifestyle is pretty good. Uh, every <laughs> client that I have talked to and visited, I've had new, more new clients this year than I ever had. And everybody, our first question, are your rounds up? What's your membership waiting list like? Do you have people playing? And everybody's rounds have been up. Waiting lists are getting longer. People are wanting to play. We're trying to get rid of maintenance Mondays so we can have more golf being played. Hmm. So I would say uh, exactly as Pat, this, this, I think the industry is not booming, but it's not stale. It's very active and it's very healthy. It's always going to be a niche sport anyways. It's like polo or tennis or yachting. It's only going to be so big. But right now, it's a disposable income industry, and people have disposable incomes because if they didn't, I wouldn't be as busy as I am. And I am very blessed to be extremely busy. Okay, quick, quick question, quick answer, Tim. What do you think of Top Golf? Good, bad, indifferent? I think it's great because if it gives people the opportunity to experience one of the three greatest feelings in the world, and that's a well-struck golf shot, it might stimulate them to try the real thing. I, I love that answer because I think it is might. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think it's the savior of the industry. I don't think it can hurt, though. 
No, it won't hurt us. It, it, it's going to expose people to it's going to expose people to the social aspect and the hitting the golf ball, and then the, the connection of the human aspect to the equipment, to the ball, to the result. Our next topic, and this was really in the uh, last third of the year, there were numerous natural disasters. We had Hurricane Harvey in Texas. We had Hurricane Irma in Florida, and that even reached up to where you're at in Hilton Head, Tim. We had the wildfires in California, and I guess if you go back to, to summer, we had the inspirational recovery story at the Greenbrier. Tim, as somebody that lives on Hilton Head now, what is it like going through a natural disaster, and what are some strategies you give the people you deal with to recover from them? <laughs> I'll tell you, what they, when they say get out, get out. <laughs> uh, Good any, advice. Anybody that's going to go through a Cat 3 full of tornadoes and sit underneath it has absolutely lost their mind. Uh, you know, I, I don't care. <laughs> you you got to get out. And, it, and it's the same thing. I feel bad for anybody that loses their, their home and their livelihood to a fire, to a flood, to a hurricane, to a tornado, whatever it is. Unless you've gone. I mean, people are disconnected. If people in California are looking at at Hilton Head, when Matthew went across the top of the island last year, they go, oh, well, that's really too bad. You know, I had people ask me, is your pool okay? Is my pool, I, what are you kidding me, is my pool okay? I mean, we had houses destroyed. It's the same with the fires. And you, you, it's just impossible to deal with the total loss of everything you have. And you know, whether you see it as a tornado, a hurricane, a flood, whatever it is, it's devastating. Uh, Hilton Head is back from last year. We got very lucky this year. With Irma kind of taking, you know, no disrespect to South Florida, but it went away from us because I think if our island took a hit again this year, it would have been really even harder to recover. Yep. Um, golf is, the courses are back. We only have nine holes left at Port Royal that are not open to play, which is where most of the, the, that's the great. debris was stored. Uh, so that's great. Sea uh, Pines, uh, obviously, if you watch the Heritage this year, was a great event. And uh, it rebounded the hats off to those folks who were right on the coast and right in the middle of the storm. Um, it's not fun. I was down in Miami after Irma last month doing a couple of due diligence things for insurance. Uh, you know, they, they, they are surviving. It's, it's not fun. I talked to a superintendent this morning uh, in Southern California who was hours away from evacuating his family and, and from their home, and he got lucky with the fires. Um, you know, it's, it's the resiliency of, of our industry, first off, but it's also a, a huge, you know, high five to the superintendent, right. which is a can-do person, and, okay, whatever the kick in the teeth is, I'm going to get up, shake it off, and keep going. And uh, you see that all over the southeast with the hurricane survivors from the golf industry. Um, and we're, we're, we're back here. Uh, we just hope that we don't have to go through it again, but... You know, as long as the ocean stays warm, for whatever reason, we're going to be right in the middle of hurricane season again. Yeah, and, and I, th I think you, you hit it right on the head as high fives for these guys. I, I, I'll just focus on one thing that I, I think is very different in the way that we handled all of these natural disasters over the last year or so versus uh, even five or ten years ago, and that's social media. Um, we've learned to share information and to, to use social media as a way to solicit ideas to recover or to prepare in advance. I, there was a, this amazing picture uh, from, and I, I, I misplaced exactly, I think it was a Texas course, of all of their equipment on the highest piece of ground on the property. Correct. Uh, yeah, and they saved $6 million worth of equipment or whatever, and they got that idea from Twitter. Okay, so so yeah. you can you know you can say all you want about social media, but at, at, at times of crisis, it's a hell of a resource, and, and I just think that that's been remarkable to see 
people harvesting that and sharing ideas. And, and even when we knew these storms were coming, people were on there going, okay, I've got this problem. What should I do now? How can or, I, how can I line up tree care in advance? That's it. I, I send you a tweet and go, Hey Pat, you went through this last year. What are five things I need to do if it's coming my way? And you, I mean, unsolicited, no, you know, barriers, no passion or prejudice. Every superintendent say here, Here's some advice that I went through, just like the, the cards yep. on the highest point thing. It is an unbelievably sharing profession. Sharing and caring in our industry is, is unbelievably at a high level. Yep, but but it always has been. But I, I just think that, that people's ability to prepare for a disaster like this is dramatically enhanced now with the, the information sharing technologies we have now versus 10 or 15 years ago. I talked to Mike Fabricio about this, our friend from from uh, the Myrtle Beach area from, you know, who's been a, a, a down there forever. And he said the same thing, that, that the resources that were available and the, and the knowledge that's been banked over the years by, by guys who've dealt with hurricanes or fires or floods or whatever has been remarkable. So I, I think that's one where we all need to take a step back and say thanks to the guys who share this information because it's helping everybody do their job better. We'll go into our next topic, and I don't want to steal too much from the upcoming Granny Awards that are coming out. Tim writes The a, what? The who? The Granny Awards. If you don't know what those are, you got to look at the January issue of GCI. Tim does uh, his annual awards. They're a very witty and comical and practical look at the year before in golf. And Tim does touch on to some of the tournament golf that happened in 2017. I just want to ask both of you at the highest levels, what are some things that you're going to remember when you think of 2017? I think the one thing that didn't really get as much play as it should is what Quail Hollow accomplished in nine months, completely renovating a golf course and hosting a PGA championship in the transition zone in the most brutal of conditions. I think that was a pretty remarkable story. Keith Wood is a stud, <laughs> you know. He just he just did a remarkable job down there, and, and but but I also will say the flip side of this was Craig Walsh at Eagle Point, which you know hosted the Wells Fargo, and w- the world got to see this tremendous golf course that really had never gotten the attention that it deserved. So I I thought that that was a really cool uh, tournament story from this last year. Um, I, I was glad that things worked out as well as they did at Aaron Hills for Zach and his team. I thought that was awesome, you know, because the course almost became the story early in the week with, you know, uh, mowing down rough and all that stuff, and, and then it went away. And it's always good when the course is not the story for the U.S. Open. Right, Tim? Do you, do you have any uh, opinions about the United States Golf Association's championships? I thought they, uh, at least they pronounced all the winners' names right uh, this year, which is a good thing. boy. You know, there was no uh, speech therapy needed at all. Uh, that was kind of good. Yeah, that was good. You know, from a, from a tournament perspective, you go through, uh, I mean, start the year with the excitement with Jordan Spieth, you know, in Hawaii coming off of the Claret Jug and all the things that he did, and finish the year with Tiger Woods. Yeah. And the hope and the anticipation that Tiger... You know, according to Brad Klein, an expert in all things golf, he has said that Tiger Woods is back. So watching him play at some uh, charity event in uh, Cabo San Lucas or something last yeah. week, I read all that information. So, but, but, you know, you look at the tournament golf, I, yeah, it, it, touching on the, on, on the grainies, and I will tell you before I speak about anything associated with Hollywood, I have tied up my house robe, unlike Harvey Weinstein, so this, this, this will be safe for anybody to listen to. Um, the tournament aspect, I thought, was a pretty good year. Uh, they've got it right. Thanks, Pete Bavacqua, 
who's a really smart guy and getting the PGA at a time of year that will give that major the respect it deserves and take the difficulty of trying to make major championship conditions in the middle of August, which really are not yeah. good unless you're playing at Pebble Beach. Right. Uh, so that's going to be fun, and we're going to start the year with the players, which is always a great way to kick it off. The Masters, the Masters the Masters. I mean, they just get better and better every year. Yeah. Now Pete's, now Pete's going to have the PGA. We're going to roll into the U.S. Open, the Open Championship, the FedEx. It's just going to be a very well-timed tournament year. I was really pleased to see Sergio win yeah. uh, at Augusta. What a great overtime. He and, and Justin Rose. I mean, that was that's fun to watch. Yeah, it really I'm was. Sorry, that, that, you, I'm glued to that stuff. You know, the, the, the U.S. Open, can't blame Zach in the golf course. The wind didn't blow. Uh, you know, I was quoted as when I first saw the site and saw the original layout, I said it's Shinnecock with a set of balls. <laughs> and it really is. It really is. And and it's not their fault that the wind didn't blow. You know, you can't blame Mike Davis. He's, he thinks he's a powerful guy, but he's not that powerful. But can't make the wind he, blow. He can't make the wind blow. Uh, and that's not Zach's fault. The whole, it, it's not. It was a, it's a, really a cool fight. And Mike Hurdson and Dana Fry and, and Zach and all the people in that part of the world should be very proud of what they did with that event. Uh, the Open Championship, it's the Open Championship. Listen, I like George Spieth, who had the wherewithal to say, I think there's a rule that I can use to get out of this problem. Yeah. It's going to take a little time, but they're not timing me because I'm in the last group, so it doesn't really matter. That was pretty cool. I felt bad for Matt Kuchar because he, he is probably the best player without a major. And the um, nicest guy, and and he is such a he is a, he is a good dude. Yeah. And then your right guy with Keith as a stud at at Quail, uh, and then they got a great champion, probably the best player in golf in 2017, Justin Thomas. I mean, he hits he's hits an unbelievable golf shot yeah. that that gets you off the couch. You throw the Solheim Cup in with with Rick up there in Iowa, and overall, I think it was. Uh, you know, the President's <laughs> Cup was a little bit of a, snee, a, a snoring event because it was, you know, it was no contest. Uh, and, and that organization, I said it in, in the grainies, would, to, to go ahead and everybody's they're finishing on a par three. Well, that's silly. Well, Eastlake did it. The U.S. Open has done right. it. And, oh, by the way, when you see the sun setting and reflecting off the skyline of Manhattan, that, that kind of gets your blood pumping a little bit. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. I thought tournament wise it was a good year. So so when does remind me when the changes in the timing for the PGA championship take effect. Is that nineteen? So two, I believe it's nineteen. Yeah, two more years. I, I agree with you hundred percent, Tim. That's gonna blow people's minds. So it didn't I don't think it got that much attention because it was just kind of one of those, oh yeah, okay, they finally made those decision things. But I, I think it's gonna blow people's minds because it's gonna change the entire mindset uh, uh, of how of we think of it, yeah, of the competitive golf season. So it, it's going to be yeah. a very different thing. And, and as all things, it's all about money. So it's going to help the it's going to help well, the TV revenues fairly substantially, and it gets them out of the business of competing against college football and and even the NFL towards the end of the season. So it, it's it's correct. a it's a big win for the for the business of TV golf. And Pat, and it's going to expose venues that we've never yeah. seen before. You bet. You bet. And superintendents that never had the limelight before. You know, Keith Wood and Quail Hollow wouldn't have ever had the limelight if it wasn't for the PGA. Now they're going to go into 
a whole different uh, schedule and bring out a whole different set of golf courses. And let me throw this out for debate. Now you could see Quail Hollow back in the spring in May. And, oh, by the way, they might have bentgrass greens instead of Bermuda grass greens. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a novel concept? Oh, no, I don't want to start that rumor. I didn't <laughs> oh, but you just did. You know, but, I mean, you, you see my point. I think it, it brings out to the PGA, and P, like I said, I'm a big Pete Pavacla fan. He's a smart guy, yep, yep. and he's making our golf professional, our fellow professionals look good. Uh, I think if we, you know, our, our leadership maybe needs to kind of watch that from the superintendent's perspective because, you know, Pete is doing a whole lot for our, our, his association. I think Rhett, who's an incredibly good guy and a friend of mine, I think – I would put it out that we need to kind of follow what the PGA is doing and upgrade our image as a superintendent. We have got to do more than just get a mention on TV. Yeah. You yeah. know, we have to be the leading people in golf. Amen. So both of you have been around for a long time, and we're going to close the podcast. Thanks, guy. Yeah, we're both old as hell. We're going to end the podcast with this. So both of you have saw a lot this year. You got to visit a lot of places, meet a lot of people, what was something in 2017 that you saw firsthand or a person that you met or something that you'd never seen before that really blew you away and made you change a little bit, bit about how you think about things? Pat? Oh, jeez. Um, okay, I'll throw you a curveball here. My favorite person that I met this year was Anna Steeler, Brian Steeler's daughter. Brian's the superintendent of Highlands Country Club up in Cashiers, North Carolina, which is in unbelievable golf course unbelievable place and and brian's just a great guy he's a leader with the carolina's media uh, carolina's chapter and everything else and just a, a terrific superintendent and a terrific human being and he he brought his daughter anna along to the to the myrtle beach show and and she went around and she she learned she became a reporter she was a cub reporter for for gci and she talked to uh, 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 dozens of people in the industry. And, and, and she, at the tender age of 12, came back and filed a report, which you can read on, on Golf Course Industries' website, basically saying that, that what she learned is that the most important thing in our industry is not technology, and it's not agronomy, and it's not uh, research, and it's not who you know, blah, blah, blah. It's relationships. It's how you maintain your relationships with other people and the value of those friendships. And, and uh, that blew me away, that a 12-year-old that could find that knowledge. And, and it blew me away that, that, that her dad uh, uh, created that opportunity. So if I had to pick one person of the year, it's Anna Steele. And how about you, Tim? What did you see different or something you learned this year that really impressed you? That's hard to say, Guy. I mean, I, I, I don't want to say I've been around so long that it's going to take a lot to impress me. <laughs> um, but but what, I've, what I've really come away with this year for a lot of reasons and the people that you see playing golf, golf is really cool. It's not this hoity-toity, buttoned-up, no emotion, no... Uh, you know, well, we're only poop on Thursdays type of mentality. It's, it's really cool to play golf. And I said it at our meeting at the Carolina Golf Club a year or so ago that women and kids are going to be our future. And 
it's just cool to play golf. That's what's impressing me more than anything else. I mean, I've met a lot of people, if not just about anybody who's done anything. Um, I think it's 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 a, just cool to play golf, mm-hmm. and that's what people are finding out. And, and when you get to that age when you you still want to be competitive, but you can't play whatever sport it was that you played in high school or college or whatever, it's it's cool to be on a golf course. There's so many cool aspects of hitting a shot, walking the golf course, seeing the environment, being with your buddies, whatever it is, uh, it's it, golf is cool. And uh, if we get Tiger Woods back where we get more attention to the game and he starts to captivate everybody again, golf is going to be really cool. And that's what's going to impress me. What would really impress me is if we can do it without Tiger Woods. <laughs> I, I just think, and, and I, I guess this is kind of a, so, a sore spot for me that this whole idea that, that – the industry rises and falls with Tiger's uh, glutes being activated, and, and frankly, I think it's bullshit. You know, <laughs> I just don't care, and, and we we better be stronger than that. So I, I I'm perfectly happy having Jordan and Ricky and and some of these guys out in front of our, our business as well too. But I agree with you, and, and I also agree that that you know what as Henry told us all a year ago in in, in Charlotte uh, when we were all speaking at the GCI Tech Conference that. That the, you know the future is really about women, and, and that as long as we can continue to promote the fact that golf is a great pastime and it's a great exercise and it's a good experience with family and friends, uh, the the game will be fine. The game will be just fine. As long as we as long as we don't dumb it down, Pat. The thing that, that this is as a side note, I, I don't want to see our game dumbed down where we make golf courses just flat pastures with no style or challenge that we just we, we roll back the golf ball we make it easy we dumb down the rules it's a unique sport that requires skill and thought but it's also really cool if we dumb it down we're going to take the interest out of the sport that's what that's what i see more than anything and to go back and, and the, the thing that i wasn't impressed with was our our guy mr nick was saying that we're building we need to build all these 8500 yard yeah. golf courses yeah. I don't think we're building any golf courses, let alone 8,500-yard golf courses. And the fact that the average guy doesn't hit the golf ball really far, uh, and I don't recall Mr. Nicholas complaining about hitting the golf ball far in the 60s and <laughs> 70s when he won everything in sight. So enough of that. I digress, as they say. Well, it was a lovely digression, though. But, but again, I, 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 I do think that there should be enough different kinds of golf courses out there for everybody. You know, I really do think that, and I always tell people, you know, people say, well, and I'm sure you get this question too, Tom, what's your favorite golf course? And that's like saying, (laughs) what's my favorite painting in the Louvre? You know, it's, you know, there are some obvious ones. There's the Mona Lisa, that'd be Pine Valley. There's, you know, uh, the greatest, the greatest Picasso there, that would be, uh, that would be, uh, you, you know, a, a newer course. Well, anything that Pete Dye would do. Yeah, exactly. It was a little. Don't fit together well. Yeah, Pete would be the Picasso of, of golf course architecture. But 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 the point is, is everybody has different tastes, and there's one for everybody. Yeah, exactly. That's a and, and, cool. and if and if it's okay to have a little flat piece of land where kids can go play, or people that are new to the game, that works fine for me. You know, so so I I, I hope that we continue to have a great variety of styles and that there's something for everybody in this great game of golf. You know what else is cool? It's pretty cool to be the Mills Lane of podcasting. (laughs) Everybody's frantically Googling Mills Lane right now because they forgot to to begin with. 
I just want to thank both of you for taking the time to, to do this. Tim, thank you for everything you do for GCI. And Pat, thank you for all the contributions you've made to the industry, too. I think this is a great way for us to end the podcasting portion of GCI's year. I'm sure we'll be doing more of these next year. And we hope everybody has a safe and happy holiday. Happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy, happy Hanukkah. Uh, happy Kwanzaa. Happy, uh, uh, I've got to get an early start on Groundhog's Day. I'm a big fan of Groundhog's Day. Uh, Groundhog's Day is happening just before the golf show in San Antonio this year. Uh, Columbus Day. Columbus Day is coming up. Uh, uh, what else we got? Anything? Anything? Last well, call. don't forget the Irish. you got to have St. Patrick's Day in there. God forbid that any of my people are neglected. Both of you, <laughs> both of you married men forgot Valentine's Day in this list. Oh, oh, no, it's tattooed on my left glute. That's how I <laughs> my glute. Good night, everybody. Thanks for coming. Drive safely. Thanks, Tip your boys. waiters and waitresses.